Thank you, worship band, for preparing us so well. How wonderful to see the Kalmans light our third candle of joy this morning, all the way from South Africa. And it is a joy to be together as we continue in our series, Hope Awaits. Will you pray with me? Open us up, Lord. Lord, as we just sang, open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to what you... Amen. Well, I have a few words that I'm going... They're actually first few words of kind of some classic first-liners of some books that you may be familiar with. And if you are, go ahead and uh, kind of call them out, okay? So how about... It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Woohoo! Good. Okay. And then one down. What about a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? It is Star Wars. And did you know that there was actually a book that was published? It was a paperback six months before the movie. And it was called The Adventures of Luke Skywalker. So... And what about this one? It's a little more challenging. I'm going to make sure. He was an old man who fished alone in a skiff. Old man, you guys, old man in the sea. That's right, Hemingway. Maybe the hardest one of all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yes, I'm glad you got that one, yes. More than a book, of course, the Bible, the inspired word of God. But our passage this morning is Mark 1, 1 through 8. And the first verse of Mark, for those that heard it for the first time and for us today, is a drop the mic verse. Here it is. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So let me just give you a little bit of context here. So Mark was not one of the original 12 disciples. So he um, it was too young, and most scholars believe that he heard about the life of Jesus through the Apostle Peter. Now, Mark was written in Rome around somewhere between 65 A.D. and 72 A.D. And the reader or those that were hearing would have been under the domination, just been dominated by the Roman Empire. So here, let me give you an example. In 64 A.D., a fire broke out that pretty much destroyed the city. And when there were suspicions that Nero, the emperor at that time, that he started it so that he could expand his palace. When there were suspicions it was him, he diverted the attention and he pointed to the Christians. And he said, they're the ones that started it. And massive persecutions against the Christians began. Uh, The Roman historian Tacitus documents what was happening. He says that Christians were executed, that they were torn apart by wild animals, that they were set aflame, 
to light the palace at night for Nero. Talk about a need for hope. So Mark, he starts, first few words, the beginning. There is a new beginning of the good news. Now, good news translated from Greek to English, the coming of the Messiah, God's good news, gospel. And those that were familiar with the Old Testament and with Isaiah, 52.7, how beautiful are the mountains or the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring glad tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, who says, your God reigns. Now, I didn't realize this, but the Romans were also familiar with good news. I didn't realize that they used that whenever they were declaring a new kingdom, a Caesar, a new Caesar, a new emperor. I found that there's a Roman excerpt, and I've kind of abridged it for the sake of time, in 9 BC, an inscription, and it is about Caesar Augustus, translated into English. The providence has ordained the most perfect for human life by giving it to Caesar Augustus, filling him with virtue and sending him as savior for us and for those who come after us. The day of the birth of the God, lowercase g, Augustus, was the beginning for the world of the gospel, the good news that has come to men through him. So Mark starts this with, this is a new beginning, and this is a new kingdom that will proclaim peace, and that will proclaim salvation. And do you know who it's through? Jesus. That's what he says, Jesus Christ. Jesus, translated Messiah. Yahweh saves. The anointed one is the title for Christ. So Jesus, the anointed one, will bring salvation to the world. And then Mark wants us to know Jesus is the son of God. That there will be no kingdom, no king that will supersede Jesus. The kingdom of God it will be above all other earthly kingdoms. Talk about a message of hope. Well, Mark continues. As it is written in the prophet of Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make your paths, make his paths straight. And Mark is quoting from Isaiah chapter 43. The fulfillment of the prophecy has come. And then Mark continues in 4 and 5. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So John is in the wilderness, and he is proclaiming a message of turning to God, 
to being made right with God in a new way. Because in the Old Testament, they had ceremonial washings and cleansing, especially before they were going to be going into the temple. But John the baptizer is calling people to confess their wrongs, to acknowledge their need for God, to be made right with God, to be baptized. And the crowds responded by coming from all over. It was like there was a turning together to the hope of the coming Messiah. Well, Matthew records, the book of Matthew records, this little caveat, um, that there were some leaders, Pharisees and Sadducees, that went out into the wilderness. And this is Leanna's translation, that basically they were like, oh, that's great for them, but we don't need that. You see, you know, we're the leaders, and, you know, we have followed the law, and so that, you know, you guys go do that. And John the baptizer has a very strong response, and I will paraphrase to say, he's saying, oh no, there's no more class systems, there is no more religious systems, there's no more who's in, who's out, who's worthy, who's not. We are all in need of the saving grace of Jesus. And we read in Galatians 3, 27 and 28, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And then we learn in the New Testament what one in Christ means, the body of Christ, and how we will come alongside one another for the sake of the world. There is hope in the wilderness. You know, the words in the wilderness, it's so funny how it just kind of all of a sudden kind of starts happening, and I can kind of start feeling it well up, but it's just the way it goes, I got to say. Um, but when I think of the words in the wilderness, I, you know, I think, and you can kind of see the slide up here, I think arid, and I think, well, dry, and I think somewhat desolate. I think sometimes of alone. And, you know, um, I just kind of, though, describe kind of a physical landscape, but we all experience wildernesses in our lives. We experience loss and change and grief and medical challenges and relationship challenges, family challenges, emotional, medical challenges, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual wildernesses. And you know, as I also, I look at this slide though, I see the beauty of the sky, the heavens. And I'm reminded all throughout scripture how God was present in the wilderness. And he was present to prepare people, to transform people, to reveal himself. But you know, in the text this morning, it's kind of stood out to me how all the people gathered in the wilderness, coming from all over. 
And I can't help but wonder if being together offered a shared hope despite the circumstances they were facing. And then, of course, I ask the question of us. Does being together provide a shared hope for us, especially in times of challenge and wildernesses? Henry Nowen and Parker Palmer, in their writings, they talk about community, that we have all been created for community. And they describe a faith community as a place where there's care and celebration, where we can um, have our wounds and our weaknesses exposed, a place of acceptance, a place of forgiveness, a place of grace. And we don't get it all right all the time. And I know this is kind of shocking for me to say this, but we don't always even agree, right? Sometimes on the same things. But our commitment to each other as followers of Jesus transcends our differences. And as Nowen says, so we can bear fruit in solidarity with others and be the body of Christ, not just for ourselves, but for the sake of the world. And Nowen describes community like a large mosaic and at one point, and he talks about the little pieces of tile, and they're all might seem insignificant, and you know, they're purple and green and red and orange and yellow and gold. And some might look precious, and some might look, you know, ordinary. And there's not much that we can maybe do with an individual stone or tile, but when we put them all together in one big mosaic. He uses the words uh, portraying the face of Christ. Who would ever question the importance of any of them? If one is missing, face is incomplete. And together, each tile is indispensable, and he says, makes a contribution to the glory of God. And my favorite line That community is a fellowship of people who together make God visible to the world. And I just happened on our Advent devotional, I noticed late last night, that there is a mosaic here on the front and on the back, and it's Nowens. And I kind of look at those little pieces, and every time I'm going to be reading this, I'll be thinking of faith community. And how important we all are. And we may not be able to remove the wildernesses of each other's lives, but we can be present. And we can remind one another that we are loved and that we are not alone. And we are present physically or virtually or in prayer, in spirit. But we are not alone because Emmanuel, God, is with us. Now, we can be tempted to see our faith as one, an individual, kind of a relationship one-on-one with God. Both Nowen and Parker Palmer say spiritual growth 
wholeness means that we are also a part of community, a faith community. And this community that we're engaged in helps prepare us to serve to meet the needs of our world, to live out the good news, to be a voice for peace, for justice, for healing, for compassion, that we need all three. Jesus spent time one-on-one with the Father. And he also called this ragamuffin crew of disciples alongside him for community, and then he went out and he preached the gospel. He served and he healed. And Mark continues in 6 to 8. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his weight, and he ate locusts and honey, and when you're involved in children's ministries, oh, there's a whole bunch of fun things that you can do with that verse. But (laughs) he proclaimed... The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we do not rely on our own strength It is through the power of the Holy Spirit in seen and unseen ways. And I would like at this time, we've also patiently waited, to invite my good friend and your good friend, Jill Templeman, to come forward. I have asked her, uh, despite the fact that she is not a huge fan of coming up front, but to share, to be a witness of hope in the wilderness. It's all yours. She's already crying. Well, we were lined up around the edges of the NPR. We held hands and prayed. It was shortly after 9-11, and there was grief and fear and shock amongst us. And yet, as we prayed and held each other's hands, there was God's comfort. I remember driving home and thinking, how do people without faith get through these challenging times? We were a community. We were there praying together in the little NPR on the corner here at Las Amigas in Plano Tribuco. Well, more recently and more personally, as many of you know, I was diagnosed with a Why is this so hard? (laughs) I was diagnosed with a very aggressive and rare, literally a one in a million rare form of adrenal cancer in the summer of 2020, as if a pandemic wasn't enough. It was overwhelming. The information on adrenal cortical cancer was not promising. Of course, my first small community was Michael. We prayed. We didn't know what to pray for, but we prayed, and we were there for one another. I went on walks as I waited and prepared for my surgery date. I sat on a bench near my home overlooking the Dove Canyon golf course, and I prayed. 
And interestingly, I never prayed for healing. My prayer went something like this. God, you have known since I was born that I would face this challenge, and you have prepared me for it. Help me to receive your strength. Give me your wisdom, your peace, your comfort, and give me everything that I need to get through this crisis. My family and friends and many of Michael's clients came beside Michael and me with prayer, with emails and phone calls. This was my community that God had been building together for over 53 years. I sent the deacon prayer list coordinator a request to be added to the prayer list here at TPC. I wrote out all the details, a bit long-winded, but accepted very graciously and placed on the prayer list. And I knew instantly that another army of prayer warriors were praying with me. My life groups were there for me, instantly asking if they could bring my family dinners and anything else we may need. I received meals, flowers, and cards from members of this congregation, texts, and gift baskets. As session met the evening of my surgery date, thank you, Jim Gaston, clerk pro tem, I knew prayers were being lifted for my recovery. TPC was my community that Michael and I have been involved with for just about 30 years. As some of you, unfortunately, know, when you are diagnosed with cancer, everyone, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people, know someone who you should talk to, or someone they know that has survived your same cancer, very unlikely in my case, remember, one in a million, that's a whole other story. Michaels and my good friends live in Texas, and of course they knew someone who we just really needed to talk to. He was a five-time cancer survivor, and he was a man of faith. We FaceTimed with him and his wife, and the one thing that stood out to me from our conversation was that this path would lead me to places and communities that I might not have been to otherwise. And there may be a person or people there that needed me to be there, whether it be my particular cancer story or just a presence in a daunting waiting room, or to hear or see the word of God through me. As I recovered from my surgery for six days in the hospital, alone, remember, it was a pandemic, I remembered what he'd said as I interacted with every nurse that tended to me. As I sat in waiting rooms for radiation treatment, I was aware of those around me and was attentive to whether they needed a listening ear or a word of encouragement. Even more recently, I attended an adrenal cancer gathering in Michigan, and I was introduced to doctors scientists, and other survivors of my cancer. I was not only a part of the cancer community, but I was also a community there at University of Michigan. I've been told that I've been so strong, that I have fought hard in beating this rare disease. Yes, I am 14 months cancer-free. Amen. And perhaps that's what it's looked like on the outside. And honestly, for most of the time, I have had a sense of calmness and positivity. But it is all of these communities that I've talked about that have supported me, loved me and my family, listened to me, let me cry on their shoulders at times, and showered me with God's love and grace that have truly been my strength and given me hope throughout this journey that I didn't realize I needed. And I, through them, have learned to receive to receive that meal, to receive that prayer, or that gift basket, or all of those bagels with grace. 
God did provide me with everything I needed, just as I prayed for. Not only did he provide me with an excellent medical team, but he had already prepared me with faith through Jesus Christ, family, friends, and all of you here at TPC. Thank you, Jill, for sharing. Whew. I knew it would be challenging to come back up, but uh, I invited her because uh, we love one another and we want to be present with one another, reminding one another that we love and care for each other. And friends, this morning the cowmen's lit the Advent candle of joy. And as we return to that first verse in Mark, we have heard the good news as we anticipate through Advent the coming of the Messiah that will proclaim peace, the anointed one who will bring salvation to the world. That is a message of joy and hope. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will receive the light. They will no longer walk in darkness. Well, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have received the light of Christ, the light of life, the Holy Spirit living in us new life. And together, as the body of Christ, we have shared, we have a shared hope a faith community to be a witness of the good news and that our words and our actions will reflect the good news, will bring love and light and compassion and hope to this world. Amen. <laughs>